Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. So hey, in honor of Father's Day, I thought it would be just appropriate for a minute to maybe talk about uh, some, some rules in parenting or some laws in parenting. And what I mean by that is, these are things as a parent, whether you have had kids long time ago, you have kids now, or if you don't have kids yet, but you are prepping for the future, here are some things you need to know. Uh, one thing I'll tell you, if you follow my wife on social media, you'll understand this rule or this law really quickly, is that whenever you decide to get your face into a fight with concrete, the concrete always wins, right? My three-year-old the other day was at, or a couple weeks ago, was at a playground trip, took his face to the concrete. The concrete was un, unbothered by it, okay? But my kid's face was pretty nasty looking. All right, here's the second thing, and this was especially important uh, during COVID, right? So if there is something that your young child should not put their mouth on, or should not lick, and you're thinking, they would never lick that thing. Can I make you a guarantee? They will lick that thing, okay? My oldest son, who's five, last year we took him to Disney World. There are tons of people at Disney, right? Everybody's touching hand railings with their hands, but not my son. His mouth went straight on it, okay? Like, I, I am not a germaphobe, and I was over there going, <laughs> like... <laughs> Dry, heaving, it's disgusting. I don't have girls, I have two boys, so I'll tell you this, if you have boys, burps and farts will always be funny, okay? My kids get in timeout right now more for farting at the dinner table than anything, if, if that's all I punish them for, that's 90% of the punishment they receive, right? Here's the last one I got for you. As a parent, and I'm assuming this probably works for the grandparents in the room, if you say something in front of your kids, that you have told them they should not say, or that you know they should not say, I will guarantee you they will say it out loud after they heard you say it, and they will repeat it in front of people you do not want them to repeat it in front of. I would give you one example of that happening, but here's what I'll tell you. That happens all the time in my home, okay? They say anything and everything that they shouldn't say because they heard their mom say it, okay? She's the one that's got all sorts of issues. Right here, here's what we learn about life. Whether it's parenting, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your family life, whether it's in school, anything else, we have to understand that there are rules that govern our reality. Okay, so for example, I'm gonna have my friend Cody come up front here. Cody's gonna help me exhibit some of these rules because Cody is really smart. Cody is really good looking. Cody is single, okay? So... If you are on Father's Day looking for you a sugar daddy, he might not be that, but he will buy you, maybe not Longhorn, because he didn't win the gift card. He'll take you to McDonald's. It'll be great. So Cody, do me a favor. Pick up that ball real quick. So we understand from science class, right? There are some laws or some rules that are in place. So like a law in science would be gravity. Cody, can you show us what gravity does? Okay, so gravity means things are going to drop. Am I right? There's another law at play there. I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to talk about that because I don't know it. Now, can you pick up the paper airplane that you made? We're going to see how good he is at this. There's also the law of... <laughs> how many of you guys think it's going to go past the first row? 
There's two people that believe in you. That's really good. Just remember, there might be a lady in the room or watching online that goes, mm, if he can get it past the fifth row, maybe I'll call him up, right? So there's the law of lift, and the law of lift is going to tell us that gravity can be beaten for a little bit, right? So an airplane can make it in the air. This paper airplane make it for a little bit. Let's give it a shot. Let's throw it. Oh. Hey, it landed closest to Smokey. Maybe he'll buy you a sandwich one day or something, right? All right, now, here's another law, and this is one of my favorite ones. It's called the law of motion, right? The law of motion, the first one's going to tell you that an object in motion stays in motion unless it is acted upon by an outside force. And the first thing I thought of when I read that this week again, brushing up my high school science skills, was dodgeball. So in dodgeball, you have a nice playground ball like this, right? And what happens is it gets in motion when you throw it, and it will stay in motion that direction until it hits somebody else, preferably in the face. Are you ready to see the law of motion? All right, you ready? I'm not going to do that to you. Here you go. Give it up for Cody. Cody's a big helper, and he's single. Call him up. See, here's the thing. In life, there are rules that govern our reality, and it's also true in our faith life. In our faith, we understand that there are some things that are constantly at play that are governing our reality. And so a couple of those laws, let's go real quick. One of the laws is the law of faith, right? The law of faith is going to tell you that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you are going to please God, you have to have faith, have to exhibit faith, have to know what it is, right? This is why the writer of Hebrews says that it's impossible to please God without faith, and anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. There's also the law of generosity, right? So we find in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus is speaking to some people, and he says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So there are two laws of generosity at work in that one verse, right? The first one is, if you give, it will be given to you. Now, that's not always money. It doesn't mean I give $10, God gives me $10 back. It just means, hey, as I give, God's going to bless me, sometimes in ways that I understand, sometimes in ways I don't fully understand. But the second way it says is, by the measure you give, it will be measured to you, right? Even in our faith, there are rules that govern our reality. And then there are some rules that they're just different. They're what a, a mentor of mine, his name was Kirk Goodwin, talked to me about about 10 years ago. And he shared with me there are some rules or some laws that are universal, which means they work for you whether you're a Christian or not. Now, the result might be a little different based on who your faith is in. The blessedness of it is definitely different. But it's going to work for you whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. And the, the rule this morning that we're going to talk about is one of those rules. And it's the rule or the law of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. So if we were going to define sowing and reaping, the idea is, is that you get out of it what you put into it. That if you sow righteousness, you get righteousness. If you sow to the flesh or sow to your sinful acts, your sinful deeds, you're going to reap the rewards that go along with that. In fact, Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 6 as he's writing a letter to correct people who are drifting away from Jesus. And he says this in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 7. 
He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So what Paul is saying is you're going to get out of this life, good or bad, what you put into it. Now, here's where it's different from karma, okay? Because some people hear sowing and reaping and they think it's karma. Karma is based on things that happen to you here and now. Sowing and reaping tells me I might spend my lifetime sowing, but I'm going to reap an eternal reward. I can reap rewards here and now. God blesses people plenty of times, but that is not all we're talking about. Sowing and reaping is not the short game of the 70, 80, 90, 100 years you have on earth. It's an eternal game, okay? So sowing and reaping, he says, you get out of it what you put into it. And then Paul gives this instruction. He says in verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, and the proper time means God's time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So I want to clarify one more thing as we talk about sowing and reaping and just make sure we're understanding this. We're not just talking about money. Sowing and reaping, yes, money is an aspect of it, but sowing and reaping is about so much more than just money. But I understand if you go home today and you get on YouTube and you look up sowing and reaping as a sermon or anything else, you're going to see a lot of stuff about money. This is not a sermon that is just about money. This is a sermon that is about your entire life and understanding what sowing and reaping is. Because once again, there are rules that govern our reality. And one of those rules that's very important for us to get is this rule of sowing and and reaping. And this is a rule that Paul wanted to make sure the people in the church in Philippi understood very well. And so he starts laying it out here in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 15. So Paul writes, he says this, as you know. In other words, Paul's not telling them anything new. He's saying, as you know, you understand this. This is a walk down memory lane. You Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Now, why this is so important is because you talk to anybody who's a missionary in the field, somebody who wants to go in the field, you talk to a church planter, somebody who's raising a budget from scratch, they will tell you that everybody who gives, it's an incredible blessing. But those early adopters, those people who give to you when nobody else has and nobody else will, they do something different for you because all of a sudden you have somebody who is willing to have faith that you have faith in God. They're willing to have faith in you as you're willing to step out and do something differently. And can I tell you, there's a lot of things I love about our church. One of the things I love about Radiant Life is we are early adopters when it comes to giving to missions. When it comes to giving to projects. We don't wait and go, well, who's been doing it really well for a long time? Although that's important. There are times where we say, you know what, Holy Spirit, where do you want us to give? Holy Spirit, who do you want us to support? We go every year and find new projects to support because once again, as a church, we don't just want to be a generous church. We're early adopters, right? We jump in early and make sure that if God's put a dream in somebody's heart and we can partner with them, we're going to partner with them. So Paul says, you were an early adopter. No other church supported me back then. He says, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Now, why that's so important is because if you understand Acts chapter 16, Paul has just left prison. Not a lot of missionaries supported today are people who just got out of prison, okay? But Paul 
is getting their support out of prison. Then he goes to Thessalonica, and he faces a ton of oppression from certain men there. He's getting chased after. He's getting run out of towns, and yet the Philippian church kept supporting him, send him help more than once, more and more and more. And then Paul says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. To which the entire Philippian church went, whew, right? He's not asking for more. He says, rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. What Paul's saying is, I'm not asking for more from you. I want you to understand now, because of everything you've done, because of the fact that you were early adopters, because you've sent help more than once, because you've been there for me when other people wouldn't be there for me, and you loved God by loving me, and you supported the work of God by supporting me, I want you to understand that because you've sown that, there is a reward for you to reap now. There's something coming for you because you have been so good to me. Verse 18, Paul says, at the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's just letting them know, once again, I'm not asking for something from you. I want you to be aware of what God has for you. I have all that I needed. Everything you've given, it matters. Everything you've given, it's sweet. Everything you've given is leading to a reward. And then he shares this verse, verse 19. He says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. The same God who took care of Paul out of prison is going to take care of the people who took care of him. The same God who took care of him as he's being chased out of town by various men are going to take care of the people who have been supporting him since day one. The same God who can handle everything that comes Paul's way is now, out of his glorious riches, going to give the Philippian church a reward because they've sown. And now Paul's saying, it's time to understand that you're going to reap. What Paul wants the Philippian church to understand is this, is that God's got what you need. God's got what you need. He's going to supply all of your needs. Notice, he didn't say he's going to supply all of your needs plus your wants and your Amazon wish list. He said he's going to supply all of your need according to his glorious riches, which if you think about it this way, uh, God's a little more rich in every way than we are. So God's going to give something, if it's according to his riches, that's way better than anything we could get for ourselves. He says, God's got what you need. And this is another thing, man, I'm, I sound like I'm kissing up to you guys, but I promise you, I'm just thankful for you, that I love about our church is if you look around our church, whether it's at nine o'clock or 11 o'clock, whether it's at a block party we did over in East Akron last night or Rosemary Community Dinner on Thursday night, or you come on Wednesday night, here's what you're going to see. We have people from all age groups in this church. We're a multi-generational church. And one of the benefits of that is that when you got, get to talk to people who are more, we'll say, seasoned in the faith, you get to hear the testimonies of how God has taken care of them over decades. Not over days or weeks, but decades. You get to hear how God's been faithful time and time Again, and it reminds me of a verse that my youth pastor used to say nearly every single week in Psalm 37, 25. He says, I've been young and now I'm old. He's just saying, I've, kinda, I've, I've lived this life. He says, 
I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. It's never happened. He says, if you look at the testimony of the saints, the testimony of people who have been following God and living for God, God's always had what they need. He's always provided for his people. And this is because if you look at the history of the church, the church has been incredibly generous. The church has sown, not just financially, but in good deeds. The church is sown in righteous acts. The church is sown in outreach and showing compassion to the least of these. The church has been there time and time again. And because of that time and time again, they have reaped what they've sown. And so this morning, here's what we want to do. For the last little bit we have together, we want to understand better this idea of sowing and reaping. This rule that works for you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, but we're going to look at it as a follower of Jesus to say, okay, how can we better understand sowing and reaping? So three things. The first thing is this, if you're taking notes. We don't own anything, but we are called to steward everything. We don't own anything, but we are called to steward everything. Now, growing up in Pentecostal churches, uh, you heard some phrases over and over and over and over again, right? So I remember when I was an intern in Cleveland, Tennessee, Mountain View Church of God, you could have fit the entire building inside this room multiple times. There was one older lady who every single service would say the same thing over and over and over again. Every time she talked, she'd finish it with, glory to God, hallelujah. And she would say, glory to God, hallelujah. I'm not kidding. Eight, nine, 10, 27 times, every single service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You hear other people say things like this in, in churches, right? And if you've said this, please understand, I'm not making fun of you, but it might sting a little bit, okay? People will say things like, well, brother, I'm too blessed to be stressed. To which I want to say, well, then you must be better than Jesus because he sweat blood one time he was so stressed out, right? But I'm too blessed to be stressed. Jesus, though, you know. He can learn from me every once in a while. Another thing you hear, especially in the South, maybe you've heard this before, bless her heart. You know what bless her heart is Southern for? What a dummy, right? Because you'll say bless her heart, but it's never like she's just doing great. It's bless her heart. She'll figure it out someday, right? Bless her heart. Here's the one that always got me growing up in church. And maybe your church growing up didn't say this, but like the church I grew up in, I heard it all the time. Somebody would be talking about how they have a need, and the response would be, well, brother or well, sister, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and he can provide what you need, right? The cattle on a thousand hills, which I just got to be honest, I'm 36 years old. I have never used cattle for currency, so I have never fully gotten it. But here's the thing, as weird as that sounded to me, the, the more you get into scriptures, you realize that that sentiment, that idea is actually incredibly important if we're going to understand stewardship. Because here's what God says in Psalm chapter 50, starting in verse 10. He says, for all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains and all of the animals of the field are mine. God's telling you he's, he's possessive, right? He owns all these things. And then he says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. See, God's just making the case that everything we see, everything around us, everything that you will go on a nature hike to discover, it's all God's. When you drive down to Amish country and you see all of the cows, all the moo-moos off to the side, 
all the moo-moos are not yours, they're his, right? God owns everything, and he's called us to steward it. He says, everything I put into your hands, it's not yours to possess, it's not yours to own, it's yours to steward wisely, which is why when you get to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament, God is confronting his people. And I love that God loves us enough to confront us, to tell us when we need to change, that he's not just going to let us live in darkness and think everything's okay, but he's going to tell us, hey, here's something I have against you, and you need to be different. God speaks through the prophet Malachi, and he says this. He asks the question. He says, should people cheat God? Anytime God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's kind of like as a parent, if you sit your kid down, you're like, why don't you tell me what happened? It's not that they don't know what happened. He's asking the question to get you to think. He says, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. See, if everything is God's, and we don't steward it, it's not just that we're clumsy, it's that we're misunderstanding God's blessings in our lives. He's saying, you own nothing, but you are called to steward everything. And that tells me that we should never be afraid to give back to God that which is his. Because if it's his, if he started with it, if it's his gift, then guess what? He's going to know how to use it best. We should always trust him. And so much of life, so much of stewardship comes down to trust, which takes us to our second thought on sowing and reaping. And it's this, that you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Now, today's Father's Day. I'm assuming a lot of the dads in the room, you're getting gifts. You're getting a gift on your way out today. But here's what we know is true in every home. In every home, there is somebody who is the best gift giver, all right? In your home, if you're the best gift giver, let's see you raise your hand. See who disagree, anybody disagree with their spouse? No, some of you guys are like, I'm not even trying. I'm not even gonna raise my hand. That's okay. I know in my home, and I can say this boldly because my wife is coming to the second service, I am the best gift giver in my home, okay? Like, it's not even close. She tries. My wife is somebody who loves gifts, so she goes for uh, quantity over quality, which means sometimes you might get a lot of things that you don't really want that much, and that's okay, because she has fun watching you open presents, right? But in my house, I am the best gift giver. Can I tell you, the giver of the best gifts, I don't care what you give somebody today or what you give somebody for their birthday, nobody is a better gift giver than God. Because God, at the end of the day, has given you everything. Once again, we own nothing. We steward everything. Everything we've been given has been given to us by God. God's given you so many great gifts. And so a lot of times we think we're going to give, and it's going to almost like put God in our debt as if we can give, and it's twisting his arm behind his back. Well, now i got to bless you because now you've done this thing. But think about the absurdity of it. Let's say you decide to give a healthy sum of money, according to your budget, to missions today. That's awesome. But if you think that is motivating God to then have to do something for you, understand he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You might give a lot. It ain't nothing compared to what God has, right? Let's say you're like, well, I want to give my time. I'm going to give more time. That's awesome. You should give potentially more of your time. But understand this, God created time, okay? So you're basically like playing with his toy and being like, see what I did with it? It's really cool. Other people will say, I'm going to give my life for this faith. Hey, if God calls you to do it, more power to you. But understand, the life you're giving him is the one he already gave you. 
We can't outgive God. The hard part is you would think that having such a generous God who does so much for us would cause us then to always be the most open-handed people in the world. That we would be the people who'd meet a need as fast as possible. And yet, in many cases, what we see is God is giving and giving and giving. And a lot of people are hoarding those blessings for themselves. We have to be people who fight the temptation to keep for ourselves that which God gave to us. Everything we've been giving is not meant to terminate onto us but it's meant to go to the world around us. So what do we do with a God that we can't outgive? We give to the world what God has given to us. We give to the world what God has given to us. The world should look at the church and say, their God must be so generous because look how generous they are. That God, their God must be so loving because look at how loving they are. Their God must be so fill in the blank. Because look at that church. Now we know, unfortunately, that sentiment is true, but many times it's filled in with a negative rather than a positive. We need to be people who are fiercely committed to giving to the world what God has given to us. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 10 to his disciples. He's sending them out to minister and he says, go and announce to them, announce to the world that the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, let them know that God is close and here's how you're gonna do it. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Can I tell you something that has been really shifting in me as we've planted Rosemary Community Dinner, and we're introducing people many times to faith, many times for the first time. I don't want them to have a faith that says they can heal the sick, but you never see the sick healed. I don't want them to hear about a God who can cure something like leprosy and yet we never see anybody get cured of something. We wanna have a faith that exhibits faith, that shows faith, that expects God to move. Not as if we have to read verses like that and then almost apologize for it because, well, we've never seen somebody healed. Well, we know he can cure this, but we've not seen it get cured. We wanna have a faith that's out front that says, no, we're, we're expecting Jesus to do exactly what he says he's gonna do. And Jesus finishes that verse by saying this, give as freely as you have received. So for us, that means, hey, if God's given you perspective and wisdom, give that perspective and wisdom to somebody else. If God's given you time, then take that time and give it as freely as you got it. If God's given you finances and you have the ability to be generous, guess what? Give as freely as you've received. He's saying constantly, you can't outgive me what I'm asking you to do is give to the world what I've given you. We have to be people who understand it's not meant to terminate on us, but it's meant to go somewhere else, which takes us to our final thought this morning on sowing and reaping. And it's that Jesus meets us as we meet the needs of others. Jesus meets us as we meet the needs of others. Can we be honest today on Father's Day? I love my kids, but kids can be annoying. How many of you guys know some annoying kids? You've been to a grocery store, to a restaurant, maybe it's your kids, you're like, I'll never have those kids, and then you have kids, and they're like, ah! And you're like, I hope people are understanding. That's why it's always important to lead with grace, right? Because your kid is gonna be that kid. I love my kids, but my kids can be annoying. They can be snotty, they can be moody, they can be mean sometimes. Like my oldest looked at me the other day, and he says, Dad, your head is so big. 
it's so big. Why is your head so big? And he's like laughing and I'm like, joke's on you because you're going to have it one day, right? <laughs> Good luck, right? Kids can be not the greatest sometimes, but here's what I'll tell you. If you care about me and want to win with me, you know what you're going to do? You're going to love my kids. If you want me to spend more time with you and to think highly of you, you're going to love my kids. If you want me to be gracious with you, I'll probably still be gracious because I'm a really good person. But you want me to be extra gracious with you, and I'm super humble too, Pastor Lance. Love my kids. And can I tell you with Jesus, his, his big thought for us, can we love his people? Can we love his kids? Man, gone are the days where we think we can be so holy in a church service and jerks outside of it that people are going to go, man, I want to come to that church. Man, I want to know that person more. See, Jesus promises he's going to meet us as we meet the needs of others. And he tells us, he tells us this, he makes it clear, that you show your love for him by showing love to his people. You show your love for Jesus by showing love to his people. We have to be people who are marked by love, not just thinking about loving people, but actually loving people. And in Matthew 25, there's this portion of scripture where Jesus is talking about the end times. And it's an incredibly sobering portion of scripture because when you read Matthew 25, you can't help but put yourself in the story. Because Jesus talks about how at the end of all things, he's going to literally sort people into two different groups. And the scripture tells us he's gonna look at one group of people and he's going to commend them. And he's going to say things like this. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And what I love about this is the people who hear this, they're not patting themselves on the back like, look how good we are. They go, Lord, when did we do any of these things for you? And he follows it up with this in Matthew 25, verse 40. He says, and the king, being Jesus, will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Jesus doesn't ask us to show love to his people. He commands it. He expects it. But he gives us this nice way of seeing it, is that when we do something nice for one of his people, we're actually doing something nice for him. When we extend kindness to the least of these, we're extending kindness to him. When we serve somebody else, we're actually serving him. You show your love for Jesus by showing love to his people. And if you want to love Jesus directly, you got to love people in real ways, in tangible ways in ways they can see it, acknowledge it, and experience it. Now, I know I said I had three things about sowing and reaping, but there's one more thing I feel like you have to hear because if you don't get this, nothing that's been said in the last 20, 25, 30 minutes is gonna matter. And it's that a seed is useless if it's not sown. You can have the best seed of intention possible. It can be the shiniest seed. It can be the healthiest looking seed. Doesn't matter. If it's not sown, 
it's useless. And so for us, we have to be able to answer this question, what seed do you need to sow today? Here's the reason that word today is so important, because once again, we are living a life that is not just physical, but there are spiritual realities all around us that we don't fully understand, we don't fully see. And what Satan, the enemy, would love for you to do is walk away today and go, that was pretty good, and I feel like I know what seed I need to sow. I'll do it later. There's nothing more important than being obedient as a response to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you. So for some of you today, you might have to sow a seed into your marriage where you change the way you speak to your spouse. Maybe you need to apologize, and that's the seed you need to sow today. For others of you, maybe God's been telling you to do something for a while, and now you're kind of sitting back and going, oh, man, I should have done that a couple weeks ago. It's not too late. You need to sow that seed today. For others of you, you've been waiting to serve. Guess what? Sow that seed today. Go out to the Connection Center. Sign up to serve. But whatever it is, it's useless if it's not sown. And so as we get ready to pray today, we're going to start just by asking one question. Holy Spirit, what seed do I need to sow today? So would you join me in prayer? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Holy Spirit, what seed do we need to sow today? God, help us to be people who understand that in this life, in this life, whether it's physical or spiritual, we will get out of it what we put into it. I truly believe, Jesus, that you have called each one of us to a measure of greatness. That greatness not, might not be the way we naturally think of it, but it's a greatness for your cause and your kingdom. Every single one of us, you have given us seed that needs to be sown. And I'd ask that you'd make that clear to us today. So that as we go from here, we're not wondering what should we do next? Who should we be now? But it would be crystal clear for us. So God, help us today to be people who sow the seed you've given us and to be the people who look forward to the reward that comes from that. Because we don't do this for a reward. We graciously get it because you love us so much. So Jesus, help us today to honor you with how we live our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray.